We continue our series and we're up to number 12, which is on adoption, that we are adopted by God. Now, when people ask uh, for what terms you'd use to describe God, people would use terms like creator or sovereign. And they're like big picture words. And so when people think about God, they'd say things like, oh, he's the maker of galaxies. He made our universe. He made the stars. He makes the sunsets. And we quite often will think of God in big picture words. Now, if you were uh, think back to 1990, Bette Midler had a song saying, God is watching us from a distance. Now, there are people called deists or theists, these people who say they believe in God, but they don't really believe in Jesus. And they'll regularly see God as being incredibly big, but they don't believe that God is interested in our day-to-day life. They'll use words like creator, but they actually believe that God's probably gone on holidays. So there's no point chatting to him or praying with him because he really doesn't have any time to waste to worry about our day-to-day living. Now, the biblical foundation of adopting starts in the Old Testament. So our Old Testament reading today is Moses, who was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. We have Esther, who was adopted, and a guy called Jinnabath. Now, when we get to the New Testament, the word adoption turns up often, but it's used of Christians being adopted by God. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel was described as being the son of God, but it was always felt like he was the son that was not that much wanted because it wasn't that intimate So what does the Bible tell us in John chapter 1? To all who did receive Jesus, who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born by God. And in Romans 8, In verse 22, we know that the whole universe has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, that we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So it has the idea of adoption in the future tense there. Why? Because it says when we uh, get to heaven, That is when we are fully family. That's when everything is put into the right place. So what does God think of uh, those who are being adopted? What does God think of those who are orphans? In Deuteronomy chapter 10, he said, He defends the cause of the fatherless and of the widow. And we as Christians are reminded that we too should care for those who are powerless. And we're told in James chapter 1, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. Look after orphans and widows. God sets the lonely into families. And here beside me is my family. Those who are older, I will treat you as my parents. Those my age, I will treat as my brothers and sisters. And those who are younger, I will treat you as if you were my child. Now this morning we started the service with Psalm 63. And I'll just go over some of the words there. They're words of our intimate relationship with God, how God wants to be in our lives. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. 
you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I lay awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. These are words of intimacy between us and God. It describes that our relationship with God is a close relationship. Jesus, when he describes our relationship, he uses the imagery of branches and vines. So in John 15, Abide in me and I will abide in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Once more, that sense of intimacy. Now it's interesting, we can use terms like uh, calling God Master or our Lord or our Creator. But it's interesting, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what words did he use? He says, pray our Father. An intimate sense of relationship. And Jesus says in John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. So the Bible is overflowing in the sense that God loves us, Jesus loves us, and calls us into a relationship with him. So when Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of mercies. He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are also in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For some people, their dear father is a person who was rude or brash or distant, who was at work all day, who hardly spoke. This is not the father figure we have in the Bible. The father figure we have in the Bible is one who speaks often with his children, who spends time with his children. I think to when we adopted our son, I would uh, go and take him down the beach. I'd try and do things with him as a father and son. And even now, I I talk to my son two or three times a week on the phone, and I try and think of what things can I do to create relationships with him. So in Galatians chapter 4, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now some say that Abba is like saying Daddy. It's seen as a close term. Now, at my age, if my father was alive, I couldn't imagine saying, G'day, Daddy, to him. But uh, this is how the Bible describes us and God. It's an intimacy of close relationship. I'm embarrassed sometimes that my grandson adores me and uh, he'll come rushing up to me all excited every time he sees me. I'm thinking, I do not deserve this love from him. We hardly ever see each other, yet he is obsessed with wanting to do things. And it's quite funny, at our house, anything that's on my plate, he will eat. If the same bit of food's on his plate, won't even touch it. But it's on my plate... And he loves eating all the food off my plate. 
because it's intimacy, it's relationship, it's closeness. And this is how the Bible describes us and God. Now let's explore what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about adoption and it reveals what that intimacy means. The first statement says that God guarantees the adoption of all those who were justified or all those who have been put right with God are then made children of God. And a great verse for this is Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In the New Living Translation, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gives him great pleasure. You and I are the joy and the apple of God's eye. It's our pictures that are stuck on his fridge. That's the relationship he has with us. Now, the, uh, Paul describes it perfectly to us in Galatians 4. For when the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. When you and I talk about God, it is intimacy, it is closeness, it is care, it is love, it is compassion. Now we can describe ourselves in general terms and say, oh, I'm a follower of God. Or I'm a believer of God. But the confession and the Bible tells us that we are the family of God. The second thing it says is those adopted enjoy the liberties and privileges of God's children. And what does that mean? Romans 8. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Or as it says in John 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave them the right to become children of God. Now it's interesting, when we talk about our relationship with God, in society and other religions, if you went to a number of religions in the world and said, we as Christians describe ourselves as being God's children or family, they'd be quite offended that we're using such intimate language of closeness. Because they really feel that God is at a distance. He's like the general manager of a large company who doesn't know any of his staff. But the third thing that Westminster Confession of Faith reminds us is that he puts his name upon us. He writes his name on us. 2 Corinthians 6. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and you will be my daughters to me, says Lord Almighty. And Revelation 3.12. I will write on him the name of my God. God has set us apart for his love, for his will and for his purpose. So the fourth point from the Westminster Confession says that we will receive the spirit of adoption. So what does that mean? And we find the answer for that in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, whom we cry, Daddy, God. Once more, it speaks of intimacy. 
Now this embassy opens our doors to access to the throne of God himself with boldness that we can go before God and chat. We have uh, interesting comments about what people may think of Scott Morrison. But if you were Scott Morrison's child, he would be dad, not prime minister, not the runner of the country. He's just dad. And that is how God sees that intimacy with us. So what boldness do we have? Ephesians 3. In whom we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We can know that our prayers are heard by God. That God is looking at our life and steering and guiding and uh, uh, helping us. So Hebrews 4 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy. In other words, our prayers are listened to by God. And we can find grace and help in times of need. And we can pray directly to God and we know that we are being heard. And this means that there are times when you have no words. There are times something is so complex, you say, God, I have no idea what I should be praying. And God says, I know you so well. I will pray for you. So Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit himself helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for what we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf with groanings that are too deep for words and are unable to cry, Abba, Father. Paul captures this same idea in Galatians chapter 4. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Yes, God is creator. God is author of all life. But you and I are family. You are the son or the daughter of the God Most High. The Bible uses this intimacy of close relationship. As I was preparing my sermon, I was reflecting the fact that I've now known my brothers for 62 years. But my two older brothers have known each other for 76 years and they were twins. They spent the first 12 years of their life never apart. And there's a sense that when they used to play football, one would be running on the field and he'd just throw the ball over his head because he knew that his brother would be in just the right place. When you and I pray, God knows what we're going to pray before we pray. And God is intimately involved in every aspect of what is happening in our life. God is a God of compassion. So Psalm 103, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It then goes on to say that we are protected. So in Proverbs 14, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. God is our rock, our salvation, our hope, and our redeemer. So Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? The Bible then goes on to say that God provides for us. Matthew 6.30 But God so clothed the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you? If you have problems, he wants to hear about them. No issue is beyond the comfort of prayer. I have a very delightful, very Christian aunt who once came to stay and had a holiday with us. And we had a knock, knock, knock at the door. She answers the door to find two lovely nuns who live next door said, oh, we've lost our dog. By any chance have you seen you know, such and such type of dog? My aunt said, oh, that's such a bad thing. Let's pray. So she just bows her head, starts praying that they'll find the dog. The two nuns were quite horrified, thinking, what's this woman doing praying? But from my aunt's point of view, every problem you brought to God in prayer. And for her to pray about the dog was a natural response. I think the, aunts were a little bit, uh, the, uh, the nuns were a little bit shocked with this. But it reflects my aunt's intimacy that she thought everything was part of a conversation with God. So in 1 Peter 5, we're told, casting all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. There is no problem that is so small that he does not show interest in that. Now, as well as uh, caring for us, he will also guide us and discipline us because we're not always the perfect kids that we'd like to be. I love it sometimes saying to people, gee, you've got a perfect child. It's just wait to see them when they're at home. Why? Because God will also discipline us. So in Hebrews 12, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises each son whom he receives. His discipline is drawn by love and care to mould and guide us to be the people that God wants us to be. Now God being our Father is an intimate God. It means that he will guide us both through the good times and also for the times that we fall and we sin and we are lost. He never lets us go. As it says in Lamentations 3, For the Lord will not cast us off forever. For though he will cause grief, he will also give compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. What does steadfast love mean? His stable love. His love is like a rock, an anchor in a storm. And God reminds us how close he is to us, even when we have sinned, have fallen or stumbled. He never walks away from us. Hebrews 13 reminds us, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Finally, the Westminster Confession reminds us that we are sealed for that day of redemption. And this is caught for us in Ephesians 4.30. You are sealed for the day of your redemption. Our salvation is now as we look to eternity. And we are called heirs of an everlasting salvation. So in 1 Peter 3, oh sorry, 1 Peter 1. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, which is kept in heaven for you. Why is adoption so significant in the Bible? Because it's a term of the legal relationship of a father to a son. 
That's a long, so it's over three decades ago. That uh, Jenny and I spent nine months visiting a children's home where we had one kid in mind that we really knew was eventually going to come home with us. At the end of nine months, we got to foster him. And when he turned 12, we adopted him. To be our own. This is the love that God has for us. Earlier in the service, I quoted from Ephesians 1.5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. great quote I saw in adoption was this. I have four children. Two of them have adopted. I just forget which two. You were adopted. You were a co-heir with Christ. You were an heir of God. God looks at you the same way he looks at Jesus. So it says in Romans 8, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons who can cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. J.I. Packer, who died recently, had a great book that impacted many lives called Knowing God. In that book he says this, What is a Christian? The question can be answered so many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as his father. Revelation 3.20 is a verse that has been used often in evangelistic addresses. But the verse is actually written to believers, to Christians. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and eat with him and be with him. This is how God treats us. So in 1 John 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, for we shall be called children of God, and so we are. This is who we are. What a privilege we have. We are treated as being right with God, as being forgiven by God, assured of salvation with God, assured of eternity he treats us as his sons and his daughters, and with us he is well pleased. So we're told in James 4, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God is loving, God is compassionate, God is seeking for us. When do we see God's love for us at its clearest most moment? John 15, 13. 
Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for you. We serve a God who has searched for us, who wants to treat us as his children. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father God, indeed, we thank you for the blessing we have in you, for the salvation that's found in Christ, that you treat us as your family, you adopt us as your children. Father, may we always seek to be holy and glorify you day by day. Amen.